You can turn to Acts 14. We're going to continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. Hey, I just have to share with you guys a quick answer to prayer. When I was up here earlier and I was talking, there was this extreme ringing in my right ear. And it was super annoying. It was almost painful. And it was weird because every time I talk, it would get louder. And so um, I had to take a pee-pee break, like in that first worship song. Sorry if that sounds crass, but um, I learned a long time ago. And this is a pro tip. If you got to go, you got to go. Don't try to hold it the whole whole sermon. So anyways, um, I, I kind of just texted back there. I had my phone in my bag back there because I don't bring it up here. But I texted really quick to the elders. Please pray for me. Man, I have this ringing in my ear. And it's gone now. So praise the Lord. I don't know if you, whoever got that and prayed. Was that you, Stephen? Thank you. You just got a crown. Um, but it's gone. So praise the Lord for that. So we're going to be in Acts 14, and uh, just to kind of um, give you an example or an application for what we're going to kind of talk about today, uh, a couple weeks ago, I was dealing with a lot of discouragement and frustration. How many guys can relate to that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. For the endless reasons in life, we, we all deal with that often, so often in our lives. And ultimately, um, what it resulted from was my mind and my focus not being in the right place. There was a passage I read not too long ago on a Sunday, and then um, for our seek night, if you guys were here, we, we went through it. And that was in Colossians 1, where it talks about how we want to keep our mind on uh, things above, or on the realities of who we are in Christ. Like, basically, the promises we know are true, that's, that's where we want to keep our our minds instead of what we perceive going on around us. Because we have a new reality as children of God. You know, we're in this world, but we're not of it. We're citizens of heaven. And so all God's promises always apply to us, and we live in this new reality. But it's hard sometimes to keep your focus on that. When your mind's not in the right place, your feelings follow, and they often go in the wrong direction. And in a sense, one of the things that, it's funny because we're going through this passage today where Paul, I can relate to Paul because in a sense, I was feeling like I was having stones cast at me unjustly for reasons I didn't deserve, which can happen to us in life too. Um, and they had me knocked down to a low place like him that I didn't really want to get up from. It, it was those lies of the enemy of like, you know what? You should just quit. You should just move away, start over. Like how many guys, you guys thought that before? As crazy as it sounds, like we, we get to that point and it's just like, I'm just ready to tap out. I don't, I don't want to deal with this anymore i'm going to start over like that's going to make anything better you're never going to get away of living living in a fallen world and so suffering is part of it no matter where you go but the enemy would want you to believe that but here's the thing as i just did my normal weekly routine of meeting with you know godly men my brothers in christ that i try to meet with every week and really for the no other purpose of just to catch up on what's going on in each other's life um, go through the word together, talk about, you know, what the Lord's showing us, what the Lord's doing, because inevitably when you get two Christians together, you talk about Jesus. As I was just doing that with my brothers, I felt the Lord lift me up through those conversations or basically encourage me to keep going, reminding me of the, the things above, reminding me of the realities of Christ, just through those simple conversations, through that fellowship with my brothers and they probably didn't even know they were the lord was doing them or doing anything significant through them because i didn't necessarily share oh i'm really down i need to be lifted up 
probably should have, but I didn't. But just them being there and by being there, allowing God to be able to work through them, he got me to this right mindset and right thinking and, and lifted me out of that place of discouragement, all right? And in today's section of scripture, we're going to see a great example of the same thing happen in Paul's life and hopefully understand through this section the importance that there is in being a believer in that, not trying to go through this life solo, but surrounding yourself with your brothers and sisters and actually having fellowship and relationship with them and how God uses that to help us go through the suffering we so often face in this life. Amen? Amen. All right, so... Last week, we looked at two things that Paul and Barnabas did in Acts 14 that led to them being successful and sharing the good news with others. Remember, we talked about how their mission never changed. Their focus was always the same. Their priority was always the same. Wherever they went, they're going to use God's word to tell the good news of Jesus to people first and foremost. All right? That's what they did. And then second, they shared the gospel with anyone and everyone. Remember this this crippled guy that probably was an outcast in society you know, that most people wouldn't give the time of day. Paul gave him his attention and, and God was able to do something miraculous in, in healing him from his affirmity, but also even to a greater degree, saving him from his sin. So um, those things led to them being successful. And this week, we're going to look at some principles that we see in the next section, verses 19 through 23, that are helpful to us in enduring in our ministry for the Lord, or enduring, persevering. These words that we so often see in the Bible, we're to endure, we're to persevere, you know, because God knows you're going to go through a lot of hard things in this life. Jesus is really honest about that. And we're to endure and we're to persevere through them, knowing that God's with us. He's going to, you know, see us through them. He's going to work them for a good. There's a, a tons of reasons in that as soon as you become a believer, you know that the hard things aren't a waste anymore, that God is using them. They're still uncomfortable, but God is using them for his good. And we're going to see a bunch of principles that will help us endure and persevere through the many different adverse things we face in this life. So this is something we really want to pay attention to. Amen? All right. So let me pray really quick, and then we'll pick it up in verse 19. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, again, thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Father, I just... I even since just from the morning I got up that there was just what seemed like a lot of spiritual opposition going into this morning. And I know that's because this is the enemy's tactic to lie to us, to get us to try to get us to believe those lies that come against us, to discourage us, to get us that place where we feel knocked down and we don't want to get up, to get us our minds off where they should be and and, and that being the realities of who we are in Christ and all his promises. This is what he does. He goes after every single one of us and he, because he knows our weaknesses and, and tries to attack those. And so Lord, we know we have victory in you. We have, as I shared earlier, peace that surpasses all understanding in you. We know that even in the midst of suffering, there's a hope we have that we can have at the same time is going through that hard thing because of what you've told us you're going to use it for and, and how we're going to come out of it. The, in, the end product is always going to be for our good. All these promises, Lord, we know that we truly have been given a reason to be hopeful in any hard thing we face. And so, Lord, we want to live in that hope. 
We want to cling to it, as it says there in Hebrews. We don't want to give in to the, the fear and worry that the enemy would want us to have that you've saved us from. So, Lord, be with us and minister us through your words so that these things aren't things we just hear and underline and say we believe, but we leave here living in them and experiencing that that abundant life. This is part of that abundant life that you intend for us as your children. In Jesus' name, amen. So it says in verse 19, but Jews came from Antioch in Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So we saw Paul facing persecution in these cities that him and Barnabas were going to and those that were against Paul and Barnabas, and really I, I want to point out here because this is important for us to understand, when I say they were against them, or when it says here that, um, you know, basically they're, they're persuading people, the crowds to, to come against him, to stone him, we have to understand ultimately these people are against God. Because Paul and Barnabas are just the messengers. They're just speaking on behalf of God. And this is what helps you not take it personal when people come against you for just doing what God has asked you to do. It's not, they're not against you. They're against the Lord. And like I try to say so often, God's a big boy. You don't have to defend him. He can defend himself, but you don't have to get mad at it because that's ultimately who they're coming against. And that's who they come against here. But those Jews from the towns they had previously visited that weren't believing, that were against what they were preaching, they follow them to Lystra. They're not being, you know, happy just that they left their town, but they're dead set on getting other people against these guys and they instigate these crowds here to try to kill Paul and they basically attempt to stone him to death. Now, if you're not familiar with stoning, it was a form of capital punishment for the Jewish religious system where basically if they some, they felt somebody did a sin that was deserving of death, that's how they do it. And how they do it is they basically throw rocks at somebody till they died. Okay, not 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 does not sound like a uh, a humane or a good way to, to be killed. But nevertheless, that is what happened. And blasphemy or speaking against God was a sin that was condemnable by death or by stoning. And that's most likely what they're accusing Paul of here because he's telling them that they need to believe in Jesus to be saved, to be reconciled to God. And they don't want to believe that. They believe that they can just be good people and live according to the law. So they're accusing him of blasphemy, most likely, and they're trying to stone him to death. And this mob actually thinks they're successful at killing him as they drag him out of the city and they leave him there thinking he's dead. Now, this, if you guys are familiar with your Bibles, is the instance that a lot of commentators think that Paul's talking about in Second Corinthians 12 when he says he was allowed to visit heaven and see something that basically he couldn't put into words or he wasn't allowed to talk about, which... By the way, when I see books that people write about having visions of heaven and stuff, I always think of this, of how, well, Paul went there and God put in his word that he wasn't allowed to say what he saw or he wasn't able to describe what he saw. So I just kind of take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, God could do that. But there's an example where we see that somebody actually did go there and they they couldn't put into words. It was so awesome. It was so amazing. Or they weren't allowed to say what was there because it was so awesome. But the stoning also, some commentators think, is what might have led to that that thorn that he talks about in 2 Corinthians 12, or that permanent infirmity that he says God allowed him to have. He asked for him to take it away, but God says, no, in my weakness, you're strong. 
And he comes to the conclusion, well, this is so I didn't get boastful or prideful about being allowed to see those great things in heaven. So some think it might have been caused by this. Now, here's what I want you to note here. Note that these rocks are being thrown by the same people that just moments ago were worshiping him and Barnabas as gods, as we saw last week. And it shows how fickle people can be, all right? And and along with what I was saying last week, it also shows us how dangerous it can be to allow people to worship you or look at you as something more than just a sinner saved by grace, all right? Or to allow a culture in a church where people or the pastor or somebody is kind of seen in such a way that people start to believe that somehow the work that the Lord is doing is because of a person instead of our great God. That is not a healthy situation because at the moment that that person lets somebody down, which is inevitable, we're all still works in progress. We're not perfect. And inevitably, I'm going to let you down or somebody else is going to let you down. And it might not be even our intent to let the person down, but we are. Because we all have expectations, even when we don't want them. And we're all human. And, and, and the thing is, when people realize you're human and they were looking you to be something else, then that disappointment can lead to them feeling betrayed and turning on you just as we see here. Okay? And that leads to the first principle I want you to note that'll help you endure through adversity a specific type of adversity in your life but here's the thing i want you to know make sure you are somebody who appreciates the fruit rather than the bearer of it okay write that down or put that in your mind put it in your phone make sure you're somebody that appreciates the fruit rather than the bearer of it now paul tells us in second corinthians 4 7 but we that's us believers we have this treasure. The treasure he's talking about is Jesus and everything Jesus encompasses in our lives. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Again, the jars of clay, that's you and me. Compared to treasure, jars of clay are worthless in that they're just common everyday things. Now we know we're precious in God's sight, but he's trying to make a parallel here in that what we have inside of us, who we are in Christ is such a treasure. It's so beautiful compared to like what we look like on the outside. We're not worthy of the treasure we've been given. Okay. So, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show. So this is the point of that to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. As he also says in the book of Corinthians, we're just weak and foolish things that God has chosen to confound the wise. Now, we know God loves us and we're precious in his sight. But to the world, we should just look as like weak and unusable jars of clay. Because the fact that you do look like that means that God in his greatness shows very easily through you. And that is what he uses to glorify himself or show himself to other people. So that they want to know him. They want to know why you're like that. How can you do this? Why do you act this way in this situation? Why are you not fearful? Why are you not worried? Why do you care and do this thing for me? That's not normal. That's God's 
greatness. That's the treasure being shown through us, the jars of clay, all right? You see, the treasure, rather than the jars of clay that it dwells in, is what deserves our admiration, our worship, right? That's what he's telling us there. And having this right focus, here's the point I want to make with this, having this right focus of our worship not being directed towards people, but rather to God, will allow you to be equipped, fed, encouraged, built up through the believers God intends to bring, that are in your life that you're surrounded with, that he intends to do that to you, even if there's some earthiness that you see in their earthen vessels. What I mean by that is even if they drop the ball sometimes, even if they offend you sometimes, even if they don't act the way you think they should as a believer, when your focus is on the fruit instead of the bearer of it, when your worship is in the right place, what it will prevent is from you trying to chop down what's supposed to be a fruit-bearing tree in your life and removing what is meant to be a source of spiritual nourishment and thus starving yourself when people in some way fall short of your expectations and in a sense removing the very things that God has placed there to help you through the difficult things in your life for the wrong reasons. Amen? There's nowhere where he's telling any of us that we're going to be able to be perfect. <laughs> All right? We're perfect in Christ, but practically we're works in progress. And if we look to people to be anything other than that, we are looking at the wrong thing. We want to worship the God that's in each of us, not the person. Amen? And that'll help us not be offended with each other and show grace just as grace has been shown to us and not push people out of our lives that God has specifically placed there to be someone to lift you up when you're down. Amen? Amen. All right. Verse 20. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. Now, we don't know what these other believers, it says here, when they were around him, what they were doing for sure. Maybe they were praying for him. Maybe they were giving him medical attention. I would assume he'd need that after being stoned to almost being dead. Maybe they thought he was dead. Maybe they were just mourning for him. Maybe they simply just wanted to be there with their brother, however he might need them to be here. But one thing's for sure, these people were putting themselves and their own lives at risk by showing the support for a guy that had just been condemned to death. But also... The thing I want you to note, because it's what God, God's word makes very clear here, all right? Notice, but when the disciples gathered about him, when they gathered around him, he rose up. Or it's the fact that they were there for him that he was able to get up from being knocked down. And that leads to the second principle that I want you to take note of and what will help you endure through the hard things we so often face in this life, and that is to make sure you are surrounding yourself with other believers who will lift you up when you are down. As I pointed out at the very beginning, inevitably, Jesus was very honest that you will have tribulation in this world. John sixteen thirty three. if you want to look it up on your own time. And you may even get stones cast at you by others, even though you didn't do anything to deserve it. Just as Paul did, he did nothing wrong here. 
And he still got stones cast him. And those stones may even be coming by so-called religious people like the Jews here or your brothers and sisters in Christ that are saying they're doing what they're doing in the name of God, even though they aren't, but they think they're doing like, like what a true Christian would do. When really in, in, in their pride and arrogance, they're thinking they're better than you and that's what's causing it, which we've talked about. If we understand who we are in Christ, we don't think we're better than anyone, but we can be susceptible to that. But here's the thing, even if that's the case, the important thing to take away from Paul's example here is that you're able to shake it off, as we talked about a few weeks ago, instead of letting it shake you up, and that you're able to get back up and keep going instead of staying down as Paul does. And what allowed him to do that here clearly is that he was surrounded by other believers. And the reality is every single one of us need that in our life. And the reality is every single one of you need to be that in someone else's life, especially in the times we live in today as things just keep getting more difficult. The Lord tells us this in Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. He says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for or because God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. There's three things that talk about that are talked about there that are positive things that come from relationships with other believers. Okay, number one, we're to hold tightly to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. So the hope we have is in Jesus and his promises and we know he will keep them. But we need to uh, we need to hold tightly to that and we need each other to kind of remind us of those truths when our minds in the wrong place. He also talks about motivating one another to acts of love and good works, basically motivating each of us to keep going. We need to motivate each other. Keep going. Get up. Dust yourself off. We need that. I need that motivation. Just like you're always going to work out harder with a personal trainer. You need each other to keep motivating each other to keep going, especially in the midst of the hard things. And then he talks about encouraging one another. We need to encourage one another. Because it's, we're so easily discouraged. And that's all sandwiched around not neglecting meeting together. Whatever you do, don't neglect this. Don't neglect relationships with your brothers and sisters. This you have to be adamant of doing. It is crucial to your spiritual health, especially that the day of the Lord's return is drawing near because it's only going to get more crazy and it's going to seem harder. So you gotta neglect, you gotta make sure not to neglect this all the more, which is so funny how in the last couple of years that the world just happens to say, nope, don't hang out together. Stay six feet apart. Don't gather in big groups. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think without them even knowing it, for those that are unsaved, you're under the deceptions of the enemy because that's exactly where he knows we're weakest and vulnerable. See, we see that because we know what God's word says. I mean, we need to be adamant not to give in to those lies. I've been asked before why we have so many different options to gather during the week. Some wondering, are you guys just trying to busy our lives? We're already busy. No, 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 we get that. 
We're all busy. We get that. And that's not the intent at all. But you see in Acts 2, we see the early church devoted to fellowship. And what that looked like was meeting together daily. And that wasn't just for them. That's for us now. And in our society today, we've unfortunately lost sight of the need for that. And there's been negative repercussions because of it. Namely, the main consequence being that we often try to go through the difficult things this life has to throw at us without our brothers and sisters there to help us get through them. We've got this mentality of, I'm just going to pull up my bootstraps and deal with it myself. And that is not the Lord's will for us. And it's not, we don't do that because sometimes we can be prone to thinking people are failing to check in on us, but rather more times than not, it's because we have no relationships with anyone outside of saying hi and bye on Sunday morning. Okay? And in some cases, we have no relationships because even in this COVID era, there's some, and I'm not, I'm not criticizing because I realize some people have health issues and they're trying to stay away, but they have no fellowship with anyone. And that is not the answer. I mean, even if people are listening online right now and you're kind of in that situation, my exhortation to you is if church isn't an option because it's too much of a risk, you need to find fellowship with other believers in some other way. Because to forsake the gathering completely is not a healthy place to be. And just as that would not be how you would live with your blood family, I imagine that. Imagine if with my boys, I said, hey, I'll see you Sunday. I'm not going to see you the rest of the week. That makes no sense whatsoever. That is not a loving relationship. And we are called children of God in that we are all part of God's family. So he did that on purpose so that you would see that parallel just as you have relationships with your kids and your spouses you are to have relationships with each other to that same degree, with that same interaction. And so all those options that we have throughout the week to gather are meant to give you several options to attend as you're able with your busy schedules, as it works. You can't go to home church? Well, go to men's Bible study. It's early in the morning if you're a man. Go to women's Bible study in the evening if you're a woman. Go to young adult group and hang out with some other people your age. Yeah. Go to youth group. There's all these different options so that we can intentionally find something and go to it to foster those relationships that we're supposed to have. And then you guys are able to lift each other up during the adversity that we so often go through. And you might say, well, I don't know if I really need that. I have a spouse and they kind of act in that role. I have a really good friend. And I guess my question to you would be is, and I'm not saying that's not, that's not the same. That's great. It's great that God gives us people like that, like a spouse, where you have a relationship like only second to Jesus with them and, and they're close and they're there for you. Or you have really good friends like that. But isn't it even better to have more of those relationships in your life? Maybe even, as so often it works out, with people God divinely brings that have gone through the exact same hard thing that you are going through, but they've been through it. And they've seen God's faithfulness and his comfort 
and the victory he gave them at the other end of it. And so they can encourage you in a way no one else can because they've lived the same suffering, the same thing we see Paul doing to these guys. Because we're going to see them come back through here in a second and encourage these believers in these towns that are facing the same persecution he did in a way that only he could because he lived through it. Amen? You don't want to be a solo follower of Christ because not only will it lead to distance with other your brothers and sisters, it'll lead to distance to God too. Trust me. Because here's the thing. The best way to see the Lord is through his people ministering to you because so often God does things that you you realize, I can't believe you just prayed that. I can't believe you just said that. I can't believe you can relate to me this way. This is not by accident. Or another great way to see him is through him doing the same thing through you to them. That's how we see God so often. And we're reminded how real he is and that he's there. And the more brothers and sisters you have relationships with, the more you see that. Amen? All right. So Paul doesn't just get back up, though. Verse 20 tells us that he goes back into the city or right back to the people that just got done unjustly stoning him, which is just amazing to me. This persecution not deterring him from carrying out the mission the Lord gave him. And this showing us that he truly was doing what he was doing for the Lord rather than for the people. Not that he didn't care about the people, but first and foremost, his priority was to do what God wanted him to do for God's glory. And this leads to the third principle I want you to note that's going to help you endure through adversity in your life, especially when you face it in ministry, is make sure your fear of the Lord is greater than your fear of people. Or that in essence, you care more about what God thinks than what other people think. This is such an important principle to grasp as you can be absolutely sure that you have the Lord's approval in your life through your faith in Jesus, no matter what goes on. But especially since he does, he's not results-driven. He just says, be faithful and be obedient. Be faithful, be obedient. That's all he asks of us. Leave the world And those things aren't for specific. He's not for specific. Just that. Simple. Trust and obey. For there's no other way. <laughs> right? To be happy in Jesus, <laughs> but to trust and obey. All right, I had to get that out. Anyways, we know this from the, the parable of the ten talents, Matthew 25. You can read it on your own. But what does the master say to the servants that were obedient and faithful? Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what the master valued, that they listened and they were faithful. That's it, okay? But here we see people are fickle. And you're never, if you, I'm sure everyone have, of, the, of us have noticed this or come to realize this, you're never going to make everyone happy, all right? Because we're diverse. We have different opinions. We have different needs. We have different desires. And so if your life is spent trying to please everyone, you are going to be miserable because you will never please everyone, but you can please God who matters most. That's a blessing of knowing our God of being his child is no longer trying to have to please everyone in this world, but knowing if I'm right with him, that's all that matters. So if you're serving others for their approval, 
when they commend you, you're going to be encouraged. You're going to feel like things are going good. But guess what? When they're critical or negative towards you or maybe just not giving you the recognition you think you should be getting, then you're going to be discouraged and you're going to want to quit. And that's why it's best to do everything you do, as it says in Colossians 3.17, for the glory of God, just for him. I'm doing it for him. And that's going to lead to persevering in any ministry that God has for you, especially whether things are hard or not. Just like with Paul, he keeps going. Even though this definitely wasn't the desirable outcome to get stoned by the very people God sent him to save, right? But he keeps going because he was doing it ultimately for the Lord. Of course, he cared about the people, but he was there for the Lord. And he keeps going when things get tough. So we want to make sure we're doing it for the right reason. And then it goes on. Um, and from Lystra, Paul and Barnabas, they, it says they move on to Derby. Now we're going to see what happens there. It says in verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city, Derby, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So the persecution Paul and Barnabas were facing didn't stop the work of God as they just move on to the next town. They do the same thing. Like I said, the mission was always the same. They do the same thing they've been doing. They go preaching the good news. And then the results are the same as well as many people. It says here believed in Jesus and got saved in Derby. And after staying in Derby for a time period, discipling these new believers, Paul and Barnabas go right back to where they faced the harshest persecution, right? They go to back to these towns, Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, for the purpose of checking in on these believers, see how they're doing, particularly to strengthen and encourage them, seeing as how they were facing the same persecution that Paul and Barnabas experienced, okay? How are you guys doing? Keep going. Keep going, just be faithful. You know, the same things that we're talking about, they're doing the same things to them. Then I want you to note what they specifically encouraged them in, that being to endure through the tribulation they were facing in faith that the hard things they were dealing with would lead them to the kingdom of God. Or in essence, basically, the adversity they were going through would allow them to see and know God in a way they could not any other way. All right? Hebrews 6.12 tells us that it's through faith, number one, and endurance, number two, that we inherit the promises of God. Or that, number one, by believing that God will keep his word, even before you ever see it come to pass, okay, that's faith, you will be able to endure through whatever this world might throw at you, no matter how bad it is, and what you will see is God keep his promises to you in it. And this is exactly what we see with Paul and Barnabas, with all the persecution they face on this missionary journey, First in Antioch, they're expelled. And then in Conium, the, the people plotted to kill him. Then in Lystra, Paul's actually stoned. But in all three instances, the Lord was faithful to deliver them because they're still standing at the end, right? It looked different in each place, mind you. In Antioch, they were, they were kicked out. In Iconium, the people plotted, uh, or, um, uh, Iconium, they caught, they caught wind of a plot to kill him. They were able to escape before it actually happened. And then in Lystra, they, stoned paul they thought they killed him but actually he was still alive all right but at the end of each one of those trials 
Paul saw God's faithfulness to keep his promises. He actually says this in 2 Timothy 3.11. He says, you know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. And this leads to the fourth principle, the fourth and final one. I want you guys to note, and that is in order to endure through hard things, you have to understand that your present problems are leading to the promised prize. Your present problems are leading to the promised prize. I don't think any one of us would willingly choose to have to enter the kingdom of God through suffering. Am I right on that? Not one of us would choose to have to do that, okay? But the reality is we have to live through this world to get there. And this world is full of suffering, as Jesus told us, all right? Now, mind you, that's not because of God. Sometimes we get this wrong. We wonder, why am I going through this? Why is God doing this? It makes it, James 1.13 says, God's not the author of evil, all right? The reason we go through hard things in this world is because of sin. That's why sin is so horrible. Every bad and evil thing you see happening in this world is a result of our sin or other people's sin. And sin, unfortunately, doesn't just affect us when we do it. It affects others. And so as sin increases, which the Bible says is going to happen as we get closer to God's Jesus' return, because guess what? Man doesn't get better. I was at a pastor's conference this week, and I loved how they pointed out, like, you know, back in Genesis when it's talking about all the people speaking one language and going, uh, building the tower at Babel and how God said, this isn't good. You know, like there'll be nothing that they can't accomplish if they're all one mind and he scattered everyone and people were like, well, that's kind of mean. Why would he do that? Well, here's the thing. If we were inherently good, it wouldn't be a bad thing, but we're not. We're inherently bad. And the more you of us you put together, the more our, we'll destroy ourselves. God knew that. And ultimately, that is what's going to happen in the tribulation when there is this one we come together again and it's just going to be destroying everything. But this world, the suffering you face, it's not because of God. But with the Lord on your side through faith in Jesus, you've been given a legit reason to persevere in any adversity you face in this world because you've been given true hope in his promises. You don't know the details, but you know that he is going to work it for your good. Not that what you're going through is good. Not everything is good in this world. But God will work it all for your good. And chances are you've seen that over and over again. And so his past faithfulness demands your present trust. Because he's going to continue to do that until the moment you're with him again. And hardships have a way of pushing us to the things we, we, we're hopeful in. We're hoping in, right? If your hope is in a person, if it's in something in this world, guess what? When you go something hard or go through something hard, you're going to go to that thing. Because you're looking for relief. You're looking for it to deliver you. Now, inevitably, anything in this world, anyone in this world is somehow always going to fall short and disappoint you. It's not going to come through. But see, here's a great thing. If your hope's in Jesus and you're going through something hard, guess what? That's where you're going to be pushed to. You're going to go right to him. And you're going to experience his comfort in a way that you couldn't anywhere else. It actually talks about this in 
2 Corinthians 3, 7, Paul tells us, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all troubles, not just some, all troubles, so that we can comfort others. There's a purpose in it. That's one of the purposes in suffering is so that when you go through it, God can use you in a mighty way to do it in someone else's life. Often that's how the comfort of God comes into your life through your brothers and sisters. Why it's so important to surround ourselves with them, right? It says when they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us, just like we see Paul doing right here to these believers in these towns facing persecution. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. There is a comfort that we experience in Christ that is not like anything else in the world since he's the source of all of it. And here's the thing. Here's a strange thing, kind of. It's mystical. But even though we wouldn't want the suffering on, on ourselves, when you come to realize that, when you come to experience that, there's this change of heart of like, well, if this is the way that I can experience this closeness with Jesus, if this is the way that I can see the power of God in my life, then I guess I'm okay with it. Because I know that that's the best thing that I could experience. If you guys are familiar with Daniel 3 with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, it's, it's a very good example of that. I don't have time to go through that whole chapter because we need to wrap it up. But here's the thing. Cliff notes. King Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, there's Jewish exiles who are living there. These three guys are kind of higher up. They have favor in his eyes. But he builds this big golden image. And he wants everyone to bow down to it. And these guys very politely are like, well, we can't do that, king, because we only worship God. And he's like, okay, guys, I kind of like you. I'm paraphrasing. You really should do this because if you make me look bad, I'm going to have to punish you guys. And they're like, sorry. You know, here's the thing. Even if you want to punish us, our God's capable of delivering us. And even if he doesn't, he's still good. We're not worried about it, but we're not going to compromise. And he gets pretty mad. And he's got this big furnace and he heats it up like seven times hotter than it is. And he's like, all right, well, throws him in it. And now the miraculous thing is they're in it and they're unharmed. Actually, the only thing that is, 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 is removed is the bondage, their bonds, which is a great picture of how like when we go through suffering, that's what God does. He takes bonds from our life. One of them being fear because fear is crippling and it, it ties us up. And when we see God will really take care of us no matter what we're going through, it's like the enemy tries to trick you into being fearful and you're like, well, guess what? Even if the worst case scenario happens, Satan, God's going to be good. And it removes all his power in your life. Those bonds are freed. So they're in there. Now, here's the thing that's always stuck out to me. Not always. Like the Lord showed me through somebody teaching or a word. But here's the thing that sticks out to me. Is they're in this fire, which got to be uncomfortable, I mean, I would assume even, even you know, the fact that God's sparing them, it's uncomfortable being in something that hot. But it says in there that there was a fourth person in there with them who resembled the son of the gods, who we know to be a pre-incarnate version of Jesus Christ, or appearance of Jesus. He's in there in the fire with them, and they don't want to leave. They have to actually be told to come out by Nebuchadnezzar. He's like, get out of there. 
as, as uncomfortable as it might have been, they would have rather been in the fire with the Lord than sitting in the shade without him. And guys, that is what the Lord has taught me time and time again in the suffering that I've experienced, the hard things in life, is that he most certainly is there. He most certainly is going to comfort me in a way that I won't be able to be anywhere else. He will keep every single promise. He will bring me through it. And I will see one day, in hindsight often, but I will see that he was good in all of it. Amen? I think about the last two years, just even as a church, how faithful God has been. This almost visual developing of a closeness with him in our church body. And that was through the many hard things we've gone through those last two years. They couldn't have happened any other way. It's like a pouring out of his spirit. Actually, if you ever wondered where that, what that wave means on our logo, that's kind of the idea. I remember shortly after I took over, one of our, our, lead, or one of our leaders at a leadership retreat gave a word of prophecy that you know, going through a transition was hard. It felt kind of like a dry season, like a desert. But they're like, man, I just picture this waterfall, this wave of water coming over our church, like the Lord's spirit. And I see that happening probably during the hardest time we've ever lived in this, this world in this last two years. Some of you guys probably had much harder times in your life, but I've heard testimony after testimony of how this is where the Lord filled us with his spirit. This is where we really un, like felt his presence. It was pointed out at that pastor's conference when Jesus is in the desert. I don't have time to go to it, just really quick, but something that I'd never seen before, how when he went into the wilderness, the wilderness always kind of being a picture of hard things in life. When he went into the wilderness and he was tempted by the enemy, it says he went in filled with the spirit. But when he came out of it, it says he was in the power of the Spirit. And I think that difference in wording is very significant because, you see, God wants to fill us with the Spirit if we're surrendered to him. But there's something through going through hard things where he teaches you to live in the power of that Spirit. And you wouldn't be able to learn it any other way. And so we embrace it. For that reason, not because we want hard things in our life, but because we know that's where we'll see Jesus. And it goes on in verse 23, and it says, When they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So through seeing the Lord in prayer and fasting, Paul and Barnabas are able to discern who were to be the ones left to shepherd over these new churches, and they appoint elders at them. These believers that they're appointing, only being a few months old in Christ, you wouldn't think they were spiritually mature enough, but because the Lord, it, the, it was the Lord whom they believed, not Paul and Barnabas. That's where their focus was, as we talked about earlier. And it was the Lord calling them and doing this work in them, or that they were committed to, is verse 23. They were ready to oversee the people of God's church. This, this being the same way leadership has been appointed at this church, and through much prayer and fasting will continue to be appointed all right. Sometimes we think it's like something you work your way up to. Oh, not so much. There is something to be said about spiritual maturity coming over time. But here's the thing. More so than that, it's a calling. 
It's a pointing. And as my pastor used to tell me, people often see in people that are called to certain things in ministry, them doing those things long before they ever get a title. The title means nothing. That's just a recognition of something that's already there that God's doing. And so that's how it is with leadership like anything else in God's church. All right? Now, just to reiterate, the things we talked about that'll help us persevere, that'll help us endure through the hard things we face in this life. Number one, we want to be those that appreciate the fruit and not the bearer of it. Make sure our focus is in the right place. All right? Because like I said... That'll prevent us from trying to kick people out of our lives just because they're not perfect that inevitably the Lord put there to be a blessing. Amen? Number two, we want to surround ourselves with people to lift us up when we're down. It's much easier than trying to lift yourself up. Number three, we want to make sure we fear the Lord more than people or basically that's who we're doing stuff for. Not for people's acceptance or people's recognition but just out of obedience and faithfulness to the Lord. And number four, we want to understand that our present problems or the hard things we're going through are leading to the, the promised prizes. Amen? Now, I'm going to have the worship team come up here and we're going to close, but I want to talk about something because here's the thing. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've acknowledged that you're a sinner, you're not perfect. You need his sacrifice on that cross. You need God to come into your life and save you of your sins so you could be forgiven and made right with him and be brought into a relationship where you're free of your sin and he's there to be Lord, to lead you through this life because you realize you, you're not very good at leading it your, yourself. If you've done that, you've been given the right to be called a child of God. Praise the Lord. How many children of God do we have here? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Hopefully, otherwise, we're going to have a day with a lot of people getting saved. That's what I'm praying. But I would think most of us are in that category. We know we're children of God. All right? Now, here's the thing. As a child of God, you're part of a family. You're part of an eternal family. I would go as far to say it's even more important from eternal perspective than your blood family that you've been born into here. Now, of course, we want all of our blood family to know Jesus, so we are all part of the eternal family. But this is the family you're going to spend all eternity with, okay? Now, as so often with a lot of things in God's words, we can believe that, we can agree with it, but it's a whole different thing to live as that, live in that truth. Live as a family in Christ. You see, I have other family members in other parts of the state but I wouldn't consider them like an active part of my family because I, I, I don't get to see them that often, unfortunately. They're not like my kids and my wife who I'm with every day, interacting with, bearing hard things with, weeping when they weep, rejoicing when they rejoice. They're not like that. I'm not living as a family with them, per se. And you can be saved... And still try to go about this life without having any sort of meaningful relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ. In much the same way where you're a part of the family, but you're not living as such. But the reality is that is not God's intent for you at all. And it will result in you missing out on some of the very best benefits 
a lot of them I talked about today, of the abundant life that God intends for you. One being is it's going to be so much harder when you go through hard things to try to get yourself up when, you've, when you're feeling knocked down. It's much easier when you have people to assist you in that, especially in the spiritual battle we're in. But the reality is I can't, I can't make you be part of the family, like live as part of the family. No one else can either. As is so often, it's, it's got to be your choice. God doesn't force you. You have to be intentional. The opportunities are there. All right? You might have other believers that you already know, and you just need to reach out and say, hey, let's hang out this week. Let's get coffee. Have, come on over for dinner. You've got an info card sitting on the chair right next to you that's got... If you're newer, you don't, you, maybe you're newer to Christ, you don't know a lot of other believers, you have tons of opportunities. You can grab a home church flyer on your way out and you can go and visit some awesome believers that are opening up their home every Thursday night and saying, hey, come and sup with us, come and eat with us. We just want to get to know you, invite you into our family. You can do that. All are welcome. And what my encouragement to you is, don't, don't don't sit here and, and agree with that if, if you know that's you. Like, this is this is the Lord speaking to me. I know this is me. Don't leave here just saying that and just agreeing with that. Like, sometimes we can fool ourselves because we agree with it that we're actually doing it. No, what I would say to you is grab one of those flyers or whoever you're thinking of that you need to get together with. And as soon as you leave this place, you call. Hey, let, let make an appointment. Let's get together this week. Let's figure something out. Call the, the host on the home church that's closest to you and go like, hey, I, I'm just calling because, you know, I was wondering if it's all right if I come this week. You know, what should I bring for food? Do it now. Be a doer of the word. Because we have a tendency to kind of walk out here and then we just get caught up with food or life and we forget. Don't forget. This is absolutely critical. When I became a pastor at this church four years ago. This was a burden the Lord put on my heart in that this is something we needed to grow in. We needed to look like the church in Acts 2. That wasn't just for them. That was for us too. We needed to be devoted to one another in our lives. And we have grown in that. But it's not something where we're ever going to attain until we're with the Lord again. We have perfect fellowship with each other. It's something the Lord is constantly going to grow us in. Should be constantly growing us in. Amen? Amen. So here's what I'm going to have you guys do. And this is going to be really uncomfortable for some of you. Well, here's the thing. It's kind of a test. So I'm going to have you guys stand up. And we're going to sing this last worship song together. But here's what we're going to do. I would have you hold hands. But that's not the cool COVID thing to do now. And plus it's flu season, cold season, whatever. So you're going to lock arms just with the person next to you, okay? Now, my guess is if it's a family member, you're going to feel totally comfortable. Hey, no moving, Sherry Pringle. All right. All right. You're going to feel totally comfortable because guess what? You do life with them. It's not a weird thing. But if it's somebody that you don't know and there is a sense of kind of uncomfortableness, that could be a sign that I need to get to know this person. I need to get to know my, my, my family in Christ better. All right? No shame in that. No condemnation. We all have people in here we need to get to know. We can't know everyone, but we can know the people the Lord wants us to get to know. 
And so let's just worship him in this time as one family, united and with arms. And we'll go from here as the Lord leads us in growing in that. Amen? Amen.